Section 10 of Michael Kohlhaas by Heinrich von Kleist Translated by Francis H. King This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Thus stood matters with poor Kohlhaas in Dresden, when the elector of Brandenburg appeared to rescue him from the clutches of arbitrary superior power, and, in a note laid before the Chancery of State in Dresden, claimed him as a subject of Brandenburg. For the honest city governor, Sir Heinrich von Gassau, during a walk on the banks of the Spree, had acquainted the elector with the story of this strange and irreprehensible man, on which occasion, pressed by the questions of the astonished sovereign, he could not avoid mentioning the blame which lay heavy on the latter's own person through the unwarranted actions of his arch-chancellor, Count Siegfried von Kalheim. The elector was extremely indignant about the matter, and after he had called the arch-chancellor to account, and found that the relationship which he bore to the house of the Troncas was to blame for it all, he deposed Count Kalheim at once, with more than one token of his displeasure, and appointed Sir Heinrich von Gassau to be arch-chancellor in his stead. Now it so happened that, just at that time, the King of Poland, being at odds with the house of Saxony, for what occasion we do not know, approached the elector of Brandenburg, with repeated and urgent arguments to induce him to make common cause with them against the house of Saxony. And, in consequence of this, the arch-chancellor, Sir Gassau, who was not unskilful in such matters, might very well hope that, without imperiling the peace of the whole state, to a greater extent than consideration for an individual warrants, he would now be able to fulfill his sovereign's desire to secure justice for Kohlhaas at any cost whatever. Therefore, the Arch-Chancellor did not content himself with demanding, on the score of wholly arbitrary procedure, displeasing to God and man, that Kohlhaas should be unconditionally and immediately surrendered, so that, if guilty of a crime, he might be tried according to the laws of Brandenburg, on charges which the Dresden court might bring against him through an attorney at Berlin. But Sir Heinrich von Gassau even went so far as himself to demand passports for an attorney whom the elector of Brandenburg wished to send to Dresden in order to secure justice for Kohlhaas against Squire Wenzel Tronka on account of the black horses which had been taken from him on Saxon territory and other instances of flagrant ill-usage and acts of violence. The Chamberlain, Sir Coons, in the shifting of public offices in Saxony, had been appointed president of the state chancery, and, hard-pressed as he was, desired, for a variety of reasons, not to offend the court of Berlin. He therefore answered in the name of his sovereign, who had been very greatly cast down by the note he had received that they wondered at the unfriendliness and unreasonableness which had prompted the government of Brandenburg to contest the right of the Dresden court to judge Kohlhaas according to their laws for the crimes which he had committed in the land, as it was known to all the world that the latter owned a considerable piece of property in the capital, and he did not himself dispute his qualification as a Saxon citizen. But as the King of Poland was already assembling an army of five thousand men on the frontier of Saxony to fight for his claims, 
and as the Arch-Chancellor, Sir Heinrich von Gassau, declared that Kohlhassenbrück, the place after which the horse-dealer was named, was situated in Brandenburg, and that they would consider the execution of the sentence of death which had been pronounced upon him to be a violation of international law. The elector of Saxony, upon the advice of the chamberlain, Sir Coons himself, who wished to back out of the affair, summoned Prince Christian of Meissen from his estate, and decided, after a few words with this sagacious nobleman, to surrender Kohlhaas to the court of Berlin in accordance with their demand. The prince, who, although very much displeased with the unseemly blunders which had been committed, was forced to take over the conduct of the Kohlhaas affair, at the wish of his hard-pressed master, asked the elector what charge he now wished to have lodged against the horse-dealer in the Supreme Court at Berlin. As they could not refer to Kohlhaas's fatal letter to Nagelschmidt, because of the questionable and obscure circumstances under which it had been written, nor mention the former plundering and burning because of the edict in which the same had been pardoned. The elector determined to lay before the emperor's majesty at Vienna a report concerning the armed invasion of Saxony by Kohlhaas, to make complaint concerning the violation of the public peace established by the emperor, and to solicit his majesty, since he was, of course, not bound by any amnesty, to call Kohlhaas to account therefore before the court tribunal at Berlin through an attorney of the empire. A week later the horse-dealer, still in chains, was packed into a wagon by the knight Friedrich of Malzahn, whom the elector of Brandenburg had sent to Dresden at the head of six troopers, and, together with his five children, who at his request had been collected from various foundling hospitals and orphan asylums, was transported to Berlin. It so happened that the Elector of Saxony, accompanied by the Chamberlain, Sir Coons, and his wife, Lady Heloise, daughter of the High Bailiff and sister of the President, not to mention other brilliant ladies and gentlemen, hunting pages and courtiers, had gone to Dama at the invitation of the High Bailiff, Count Aloysius of Kalheim, who at that time possessed a large estate on the border of Saxony and, to entertain the elector, had organized a large stag-hunt there. Under the shelter of tents gaily decorated with pennons, erected on a hill over against the high road, the whole company, still covered with the dust of the hunt, was sitting at table served by pages, while lively music sounded from the trunk of an oak-tree, when Kohlhaas, with his escort of troopers, came riding slowly along the road from Dresden. The sudden illness of one of Kohlhaas's delicate young children had obliged the knight of Malzahn, who was his escort, to delay three whole days in Herzberg. Having to answer for this act only to the prince whom he served, the knight had not thought it necessary to inform the government of Saxony of the delay. The elector, with throat half bare, his plumed hat decorated with sprigs of fur, as is the way of hunters, was seated beside Lady Heloise, who had been the first love of his early youth. The charm of the fete which surrounded him, having put him in good humor, he said, Let us go and offer this goblet of wine to the unfortunate man, whoever he may be. 
Lady Heloise, casting an entrancing glance at him, got up at once and, plundering the whole table, filled a silver dish which a page handed her with fruit, cakes, and bread. The entire company had already left the tent in a body, carrying refreshments of every kind, when the high bailiff came toward them, and with an embarrassed air, begged them to remain where they were. In answer to the elector's disconcerted question, as to what had happened that he should show such confusion, the high bailiff turned toward the chamberlain and answered, stammering, that it was Kohlhaas who was in the wagon. At this piece of news, which none of the company could understand, as it was well known that the horse-dealer had set out six days before, the chamberlain, Sir Coons, turning back toward the tent, poured out his glass of wine on the ground. The elector, flushing scarlet, set his glass down on a plate which a page, at a sign from the chamberlain, held out to him for this purpose, and while the knight, Friedrich von Malzahn, respectfully saluting the company, who were unknown to him, passed slowly under the tent-ropes that were stretched across the high-road, and continued on his way to Dama. The lords and ladies, at the invitation of the high bailiff, returned to the tent without taking any further notice of the party. As soon as the elector had sat down again, the high bailiff dispatched a messenger secretly to Dama, intending to have the magistrate of that place see to it that the horse-dealer continued his journey immediately. But since the knight of Malzahn declared positively that, as the day was too far gone, he intended to spend the night in the place, they had to be content to lodge Kohlhaas quietly at a farmhouse belonging to the magistrate, which lay off the main road, hidden away among the bushes. Now it came toward evening, when all recollection of the incident had been driven from the minds of the lords and ladies by the wine and the abundant dessert they had enjoyed, that the high bailiff proposed they should again lie in wait for a herd of stags which had shown itself in the vicinity. The whole company took up the suggestion joyfully, and after they had provided themselves with guns, went off in pairs, over ditches and hedges, into the nearby forest. Thus it was that the elector and Lady Heloise, who was hanging on his arm in order to watch the sport, were, to their great astonishment, led by a messenger who had been placed at their service, directly across the court of the house in which Kohlhaas and the Brandenburg troopers were lodged. When Lady Heloise was informed of this, she cried, "'Your Highness, come!' and playfully concealing inside his silken vest the chain which hung around his neck, she added, "'Before the crowd follows us, let us slip into the farmhouse and have a look at the singular man who is spending the night here.' The elector blushed and seized her hand, exclaiming, Heloise, what are you thinking of? But as she, looking at him with amazement, pulled him along and assured him that no one would ever recognize him in the hunting costume he had on, and as, moreover, at this very moment a couple of hunting pages who had already satisfied their curiosity came out of the house and announced that in truth, on account of an arrangement made by the high bailiff, neither the knight nor the horse-dealer knew what company was assembled in the neighborhood of Dama. The elector pulled his hat down over his eyes with a smile, and said, Folly, thou rulest the world, and thy throne is a beautiful woman's mouth. 
Kohlhaas was sitting just then on a bundle of straw, with his back against the wall, feeding bread and milk to his child, who had been taken ill at Herzberg, when Lady Heloise and the Elector entered the farmhouse to visit him. To start the conversation, Lady Heloise asked him who he was and what was the matter with the child. Also, what crime he had committed, and where they were taking him with such an escort. Kohlhaas doffed his leather cap to her, and, continuing his occupation, made laconic but satisfactory answers to all these questions. The elector, who was standing behind the hunting-pages, remarked a little leaden locket hanging on a silk string around the horse-dealer's neck, and, since no better topic of conversation offered itself, he asked him what it signified and what was in it. Kohlhaas answered, Oh, yes, worshipful sir, this locket. And with that he slipped it from his neck, opened it, and took out a little piece of paper with writing on it, sealed with a wafer. There is a strange tale connected with this locket. It may be some seven months ago, on the very day after my wife's funeral, and, as you perhaps know, I had left Kohlhassenbrook in order to get possession of Squire Tronka, who had done me great wrong, that in the market-town of Jutterbrock, through which my expedition led me, the elector of Saxony and the elector of Brandenburg had met, to discuss I know not what matter. As they had settled it to their liking shortly before evening, they were walking in friendly conversation through the streets of the town, in order to take a look at the annual fair which was just being held there, with much merry-making they came upon a gypsy who was sitting on a stool, telling from the calendar the fortunes of the crowd that surrounded her. The two sovereigns asked her jokingly if she did not have something pleasing to reveal to them, too. I had just dismounted with my troop at an inn, and happened to be present in the square where this incident occurred, but as I was standing at the entrance of a church, behind all the people, I could not hear what the strange woman said to the two lords. The people began to whisper to one another laughingly that she did not impart her knowledge to every one, and to crowd together to see the spectacle which was preparing, so that I, really to make more room for the curious than out of curiosity on my part, climbed on a bench behind me which was carved in the entrance of the church. From this point of vantage I could see with perfect ease the two sovereigns and the old woman, who was sitting on the stool before them, apparently scribbling something down but hardly had I caught sight of them, when suddenly she got up, leaning on her crutches, and gazing around at the people, fixed her eye on me, who had never exchanged a word with her, nor ever in all my life consulted her art. Pushing her way over to me through the dense crowd, she said, There, if the gentleman wishes to know his fortune, he may ask you about it. And with these words, your worship, she stretched out her thin bony hands to me and gave me this paper. All the people turned around in my direction, and I said, amazed, Grandam, what in the world is it you are giving me? After mumbling a lot of inaudible nonsense, amid which, however, to my great surprise, I made out my own name, she answered, An amulet, Kolhas the horse-dealer. Take good care of it. Some day it will save your life and vanished. Well, Kohlhaas continued good-naturedly, to tell the truth, 
close as was the call in Dresden, I did not lose my life. But how I shall fare in Berlin, and whether the charm will help me there too, the future must show. At these words the elector seated himself on a bench, and although to Lady Heloise's frightened question as to what was the matter with him, he answered, Nothing, nothing at all. Yet, before she could spring forward and catch him in her arms, he had sunk down unconscious to the floor. The knight of Malzahn, who entered the room at this moment on some errand, exclaimed, Good heavens, what is the matter with the gentleman? Lady Heloise cried, Bring some water. The hunting pages raised the elector and carried him to a bed in the next room, and the consternation reached its height when the chamberlain, who had been summoned by a page, declared, after repeated vain efforts to restore him to consciousness, that he showed every sign of having been struck by apoplexy. The cup-bearer sent a mounted messenger to Lacau for the doctor, and then, as the elector opened his eyes, the high bailiff had him placed in a carriage and transported at a walk to his hunting-castle nearby. This journey, however, caused two more fainting spells after he had arrived there. Not until late the next morning, on the arrival of the doctor from Lacau, did he recover somewhat, though showing definite symptoms of an approaching nervous fever. As soon as he had returned to consciousness, he raised himself on his elbow, and the very first question was, Where is Kohlhaas? The chamberlain, misunderstanding the question, said, as he took his hand, that he might set his heart at rest on the subject of that horrible man, as the latter, after that strange and incomprehensible incident, had by his order remained behind in the farmhouse at Dama, with the escort from Brandenburg. Assuring the elector of his most lively sympathy, and protesting that he had most bitterly reproached his wife for her inexcusable indiscretion in bringing about a meeting between him and this man. The chamberlain went on to ask what could have occurred during the interview to affect his master so strangely and profoundly. The elector answered that he was obliged to confess to him that the sight of an insignificant piece of paper, which the man carried about with him in a leaden locket, was to blame for the whole unpleasant incident which had befallen him. To explain the circumstance, he added a variety of other things which the chamberlain could not understand. Then suddenly, clasping the latter's hand in his own, he assured him that the possession of this paper was of the utmost importance to himself, and begged Sir Coons to mount immediately, ride to Dama, and purchase the paper for him from the horse-dealer at any price. The chamberlain, who had difficulty in concealing his embarrassment, assured him that, if this piece of paper had any value for him, nothing in the world was more necessary than to conceal the fact from Kohlhaas. For if the latter should receive an indiscreet intimation of it, all the riches the elector possessed would not be sufficient to buy it from the hands of this vindictive fellow, whose passion for revenge was insatiable. To calm his master, he added that they must try to find another method, and that, as the miscreant probably was not especially attached to it for its own sake, perhaps by using stratagem they might get possession of the paper which was of so much importance to the elector, through the instrumentality of a third, wholly disinterested person. The elector, wiping away the perspiration, 
asked if they could not send immediately to Dama for this purpose, and put a stop to the horse-dealers being transported further, for the present, until, by some means or other, they had obtained possession of the paper. The Chamberlain, who could hardly believe his senses, replied that unhappily, according to all probable calculations, the horse-dealer must already have left Dama and be across the border on the soil of Brandenburg. Any attempt to interfere there with his being carried away, or actually to put a stop to it altogether, would give rise to difficulties of the most unpleasant and intricate kind, or even to such as it might perchance be impossible to overcome at all. As the elector silently sank back on the pillow with a look of utter despair, the chamberlain asked him what the paper contained, and by what surprising and inexplicable chance he knew the contents concerned himself. At this, however, the elector cast several ambiguous glances at the chamberlain, whose obligingness he distrusted on this occasion, and gave no answer. He lay there rigid, with his heart beating tumultuously, and looked down at the corner of the handkerchief which he was holding in his hands, as if lost in thought. Suddenly he begged the chamberlain to call to his room the hunting-page, Stein, an active, clever young gentleman, whom he had often employed before in affairs of a secret nature, under the pretense that he had some other business to negotiate with him. After he had explained the matter to the hunting-page, and impressed upon him the importance of the paper which was in Kohlhaas's possession, the elector asked him whether he wished to win an eternal right to his friendship by procuring this paper for him before the horse-dealer reached Berlin. As soon as the page had to some extent grasped the situation, unusual though it was, he assured his master that he would serve him to the utmost of his ability. The elector therefore charged him to ride after Kohlhaas, and as it would probably be impossible to approach him with money, Stein should, in a cleverly conducted conversation, proffer him life and freedom in exchange for the paper. Indeed, if Kohlhaas insisted upon it, he should, though with all possible caution, give him direct assistance in escaping from the hands of the Brandenburg troopers who were convoying him, by furnishing him with horses, men, and money. End of section 10